For those of you who are staying in here today, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56 is where we'll be today. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. And so as we enter this Advent season, we're going to be uh, starting a new series looking at uh, the characters of Christmas. Um, but it's a little bit of a play on words. The characters, we're going to be looking at the different people involved in the Christmas story, starting today, as you can see, with Mary. Uh, but we're going to also be looking at the character of those people. What can we learn from them? What can we see about how God used them, how God worked in their lives, and how we ought to um, learn from them and follow their example and see what God was doing and see what God will do in our lives. And the first person we'll be looking at is Mary. And unless we're going to the prophets or going into the Old Testament to look at what was told about Jesus beforehand, uh, Mary is really one of the, the first people you need to interact with because Mary is the one who is the mother of Jesus, the one that the angel comes to, as we'll see, we'll look at. Um, but we've all heard of Mary. You've seen Mary every year. We see Nativity, the mom sitting at the manger holding the baby. That's Mary. We've all sang songs about Mary. Mary had a little lamb. Whether you knew it or not, that's about Mary because some of the verses say, um, talk about the lamb and, and Jesus being the, the salvation from sin. So we know who Mary is. But sometimes I don't think we spend enough time seeking to find out what we can learn from Mary. And in reality, in preparing for this, I came to realize we could learn, we could spend a lot of time just on her life and her faithfulness, even though she's not involved in a huge portion of Scripture. There's a lot we see based on what God, how God interacts with her, um, and based on her faithfulness and what she does and how we could learn from that. But we're going to do our best today to just summarize in, in one sermon, what can we learn from Mary and how can we apply that to our lives? And in, in subsequent weeks, we'll look at some other people from this story. So let's start this by looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born shall, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who said to be, was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us and this time that we can Gathered together, we can look at your words and we can see what it is that you are calling us to do. We can see what we can learn uh, through Mary and her life and her faithfulness and obedience to you. And God, I pray that from this, we can see how we need to be faithful to you, how we need to be obedient to you. And we can see what you will do in our lives if we will simply follow you and be obedient. God, I pray that you'll work among us today, you'll convict us, you'll show us uh, exactly what you would like us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, uh, the first thing I think that is very clear and evident, if you were to consider Mary, I think if we were to poll all of you, what, did, what do you learn about Mary from that story uh, is, is two things, faith and obedience. Mary was very faithful to the Lord and very obedient to the Lord in her life. So I want you to imagine this scenario. Sometimes I think with the Bible, I know when I was younger growing up, I was very guilty of this. I would read the stories or hear the stories, and that's what it felt like at times was a story. And, and the Bible isn't as colorful as the fiction books you read, and it is not fiction, but it doesn't have the same uh, language that we use to color our, our, our stories and doesn't use all the same ways that we communicate. And so sometimes it just feels very factual and straightforward, and oftentimes it was. They weren't uh, writing things. They didn't have printers. They didn't have copiers. So everything was written by hand. And so often stories and things that were told were condensed, and they were told and, and given for the sake of of being easy to retell and to memorize and to because uh, they were very word of mouth as far as the society they were in. But some of that, as it translates to us, as you read this story, and we've gone from an angel appearing to her, her going to her cousin's house in the course of one chapter, not even the whole chapter. And so I want you to imagine this. I want you to put yourself in the situation, and I want you to imagine Gabriel appearing before you and talking to you on behalf of God. I want you to imagine him telling you something that is impossible, is going to happen, that God is going to do something in your life that's impossible, and having to trust that, having to be obedient. And this thing also is going to completely derail your life. We know how Joseph reacted to this news, and we'll get to Joseph in future weeks, but we can't talk about this story without including everyone else we'll talk about, but... Joseph's reaction, because he was a nice man, was to divorce her quietly. Why? His soon-to-be wife is found to be pregnant. Well, the baby is God's. If someone told you that, you're going to believe him? He doesn't until an angel appears to him and tells him what's going on. 
And so as we are, are dealing with the story, she is young and she's going to have a baby and she's about to be married and all of these things are coming together and her life's going to be completely derailed. But she's faithful and obedient. This tells us several things that can help us answer some questions. So the first question we might ask is, why did God choose Mary? Why did God choose Mary? Mary was already faithfully following the Lord in her life. This is clear by the way that Gabriel talks to her, that you, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This was not like Saul's conversion where Saul is directly battling against God, is blinded, meets God, is changed all around. Mary's humble, she follows the Lord, believes in God, seeks to be faithful, and her faith in God is what leads to, to God working in her life. God's standard of faithfulness among those who follow him has always been their faith in him rather than their inherent righteousness. I want you to, I want to, hear, I want you to hear that again. When God works in people's lives, it's not because of how righteous they are, but it is their faith in him that he works through. You can look at every person in Scripture, and what can you find in their life? Sin. You look at Abraham, consistently did some, some weird things. As he goes into places, says his wife's his sister over and over again. It's a weird lie to have over and over again, but he does it. Moses was a murderer. He was old. He was, he was already married, had kids, and he's retiring, settle, settling down. God calls him to go set his people free, the people that basically kind of rejected him after he had murdered the Egyptian. And he doesn't want to do it, but he does trust God. David, a murdering adulterer that is called a man after God's own heart. So they're all sinful, but what do they all also do? They believe God. When God shows up, when God says, I'm going to make you a nation, Abraham, he has faith in God. He trusts him and obeys him. As we talked about last week, trust and obey. It's the same thing as faith and obedience. David has faith in God. He's obedient to God. Moses, all the way through. Mary is not inherently righteous, and that's why God picked her, but she is a person who trusts in God. We have to acknowledge that too. This was God's divine choosing. She did not deserve this of, over and above any other person, but God decided to work in Mary. And her faith in him and her faithfulness to him show why he picked her and why uh, she was considered highly favored. I want you to consider Mary's response to the claims the angel has compared to someone else who was told about a miraculous childbirth in Scripture. Sarah, Abraham's wife. So in Luke 1.38, remember, after all this is said, after everything goes on, she does question. She says, how is this going to happen? I don't, I don't really understand. She says, hey, the Lord is going to take care of it. It's going to be, he's going to be called the Son of God. And at the end of it all, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left. So Mary's response, I do believe that God can do all things. And that's what the, that's what the angel said. The angel says to her, for nothing is impossible with God. Now Sarah, God appears to Abraham and is talking to him, and Sarah is standing at the door and listening, and he tells Abraham, your wife Sarah will have a baby this time next year when I come and visit you again. And here's what Sarah says in, in Genesis 18, 11 through 15. 
Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, what, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have, this, have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. So here we have the same situation, miraculous childbirth of someone that God is, is using to, to accomplish his purposes. And God still works through Sarah. God still works through Abraham. But her response is to laugh at what God says. And the same thing the angel says we hear here, is anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible for God? But Mary, when she hears this thing that doesn't make sense to her, and hears that nothing's impossible for God, let what you said happen. Both women presented with, were presented with childbearing miracles, and both women God works through, but Mary trusts while Sarah scoffs. And so we should trust in God. We should believe that what God says he'll do, he can do, because nothing is impossible for God. We also see that Mary obeyed God. When he told her what would happen, she not only believed in God, but acted in her life as though she believed. She went through with the task that was given to her. She took this as a true interaction. She didn't walk away from this meeting with this angel and act like nothing ever happened. She knew this was going to happen. And when Gabriel shared this monumental task with, with her, she responded with continued faithfulness. We all know people and have maybe experienced people in our life that would be, could be referred to as fair-weather friends. You ever heard that term of, of a person that at the right times when everything's good, everything's going great, they're in your life, and then when things get a little hard, when you might need them the most, they're kind of not there anymore. When the storms come and the rain come, they're nowhere to be found. I, I think sometimes there are also fair-weather Christians, and the Bible even speaks as, as such. Jesus uses the, the illustration of the seeds and the ones that grow up really quickly, but when the thorns come, the hardships of life, they're choked out. And I think too often... When things get hard, when life gets hard, when things get busy, people's faith can be the first thing to go. When there's a hard challenge presented that God wants you to do something difficult that might derail your life, that might change everything for you, even though the benefit might be really good, we don't want to follow through. Mary knew what this would take of her. Mary knew how difficult this would be. And she was faithful. So she obeys, continues to obey, even when she doesn't know how it's all going to play out. We also see that Mary was the right person at the right time. We've all probably said or heard the phrase, in God's timing. You ever said that? Well, in God's time, this will happen. In God's time, that will happen. All throughout Scripture, from the very beginning, Jesus is pointed to the Messiah, the salvation of the lost through God's work, the Messiah that would come. And at the right time, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ's sacrifice under Pontius Pilate, was not an accident. It was not an unforeseen event. God knew that was the right time for Christ to pay the price so that people might have salvation. And so what does that mean? That Mary was the right person at the right time to bear this responsibility of being the mother of Jesus. We were reminded of the story of Esther, how, how when she is, about to, is married to the king and finds out this, this plot to kill the Jews is told, 
Perhaps you were born for such a time as this, to be able to interfere and to intercept and stop this plot to kill your people. And, and what does Mordecai say? But even if you don't, God will deliver. But Mary was born for such a time as this, to be the mother of Jesus, to be the servant. And that's as she refers to herself, the servant of the Lord, to be the mother of Jesus. So as we look at our lives, how should we apply this? We need to have faith in God like Mary does. We need to believe in Him. We need to trust in Him to know that His promises are true, that He can do anything, that He wants to do. Nothing is impossible for God. We should be obedient. When He calls us to do things, we should obey. Mary trusted and obeyed. That's what we talked about last week. Trusted and obeyed and obeyed God. We should continue to be faithful even when the task becomes clear and it might be difficult. And we should seek to be aware of when we might have been born for a time such as this. There are so many things that it's easy to say, well, someone else will do it. Someone else will go. Someone else will have that conversation. Someone else will lead this person to Christ. But the question you need to ask yourself is perhaps God intends for you to be faithful in this very thing. Perhaps God intends for you to be the person that would be obedient in whatever situation you may find yourself. And so we see that Mary was, had faith and she was obedient. But we also see that there is obvious evidence in her life. There is obvious evidence of the Lord's working in her life. The first evidence we see is the evidence to others. When she visits Elizabeth and the unborn John, John the Baptist, who is the, the baby that is being carried by Elizabeth, we see them respond in awe in the filling of the Holy Spirit because of the baby that Mary is carrying. And all Mary did was greet Elizabeth, and they respond to the working of God in Mary's life. Elizabeth recognized Jesus, the unborn Jesus, as her Lord. She understands by the power of the Holy Spirit what is going on. And there were many others some of whom we'll look at in the future weeks more closely, that saw evidence of what God was doing in Mary. Joseph has Gabriel appear to him. The wise men, the shepherds, all of these people that interact with Jesus see the evidence of God's work in Mary's life. You see, that's what is able to make someone like Joseph to follow through and be the father, the earthly father to Jesus. We'll get to that later. But he knew, he saw the evidence of what was going on. But it was not only evidence to those around, there was also evidence to Mary that what Gabriel told her was true. There was evidence to Mary that those who interacted with Jesus after his birth in front of Mary confirmed what was going on. So not only Elizabeth's reaction confirmed to her something was happening, but those who interacted. I want, I want you to look at this. The shepherds who were told that he was the Messiah, they come and they, they explain what they've been told and they see this. And it says in Luke 2.19, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary sees the shepherds come and she ponders these things. She's looking at what's happening. The wise men, we see in Matthew 2.11, they come to the house and the child with his mother and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we've got shepherds coming and declaring what the angels have told them. We've got wise men from the east coming and bowing and worshiping this child, giving their gifts. We see Simeon a little later, in Je- but he's still a child, in the temple courts uh, who, who had been promised that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. 
Luke 2, 28 through 35. Simeon took in his ar- him in his arms, talking about Jesus, and praised him, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you, and you may, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in, all, in the sight of all nations, a light for, to, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the, the thoughts of many harps will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. And Anna, the 84-year-old widowed prophet who lived at the temple, and then a widow, and then was a, she left the temple but worshipped it. Give me one second, I put the wrong verse in there. Um, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So this, wit- this widow, who's 84 years old, lived in the temple, came up to Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus and, and greets him and tells everyone about him. So this time of year, you hear the song often, Mary, Did You Know? And if you've heard that song, you know all the words. So did you know that you would one day walk on water, would walk where angels tried? I think she knew. I think at least she knew in part. I don't know if she knew all of the details of what would happen. I don't know that she knew that about 30, 33 years from the point that she's giving birth to Jesus, that he was going to be nailed to a cross and she would witness this. But she knew what Jesus was there for. She knew that he was going to be called the Son of God. She knew that people worshipped him, that he was the source of salvation for all of Israel and to the Gentiles. She had heard these things spoken in her presence. And she knew she'd been entrusted with a great gift, and still she sought to be faithful. So what should we learn from this? There should be obvious evidence in our life of God's work. Just as those who interacted with Mary saw the evidence of God's work through this baby... There should be evidence in our life. If we claim to follow Christ, if we made that profession of faith, we followed in baptism, we have joined into a church, we attend each Sunday, people should be able to look at our life and see how God is working in us and through us. And if that evidence is not there, then that's problematic for how we go forward. We should also pay attention to the obvious evidence of God's work in and around us at all times. You know what I think probably helped Mary to keep going? The fact that every step of the way she saw confirmation of the promise she'd been given. Every step of the way she was looking and observing and taking these things in and seeing what God was doing. It wasn't just that this angel told her and then that carried on for the rest of her life. These shepherds come. These other people come and she sees this. She then sees the wisdom of Jesus in the temple when they they can't find him and they go and he's baffling all the teachers. She sees his ministry. The first miracle in the Bible was asked to be done by Mary. She knew who Jesus was. And so she looked for the continuous evidence of God's work. If we don't do that, it can be easy to be discouraged. It can be easy to feel discouraged, to feel, to feel like, is this promise true? Is God going to move in my life? Is God going to work in these people's lives? But we have to look at what God has done. We have to look at the evidence of God's work in our life. Because if that evidence is there, it should be an encouragement to us. We can look and we can see what God has done and what he's doing and what he's continuing to do. We can also examine the evidence. We can see what's there. For people that want to see what's going on, the wise men came to see. 
They came to see this, what, they'd, what they'd heard about. Those shepherds went to see what they'd heard about. They went to check it out, and they found the Savior. And so after all of this, Mary has a worshipful response. So Mary's response to Elizabeth, when Elizabeth sees this evidence and exclaims it, and they're, they're interacting in this way, Mary's response to Elizabeth is one of worship and humility. The first thing Mary does is glorify God. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She gives glory to where glory ought to be. I want you to understand this. She has been praised. Blessed are you among women. You're, gonna, you're, you're so great. You're carrying the, the Savior. This is wonderful. When we get praised, it's really easy to get a big head. It's really easy to let things come to us and to, to, to soak up that and enjoy that. But what does Mary do? Yeah, it really is awesome how God's working in me. I'm just so cool. No. My soul glorifies the Lord. Because Mary knows that everything that's happening in and through her is the work of God and not herself. So she glorifies God and she humbles herself. You can't exalt yourself and glorify God at the same time. You can be exalted by people as Mary was, but she humbles herself to glorify God. You're not, you can't raise yourself up and then still raise God up. You've got to humble yourself to remember who God is, remember who you are, and interact with him in that way. Mary also acknowledged God as her Savior. This reinforces that Mary was a person like us, in need of a Savior. As Simeon said, in your heart too will be pierced. And she has the unique, completely unique distinction of being the mother of the one who would be her Savior. But she acknowledges that God is her Savior and celebrates the work of the Lord, how He's faithful, how He remembers Israel, how He's merciful to Israel as He's promised His Father. She recognizes that the promises made to Abraham are being fulfilled through the child she bears. She realizes that God is doing something through this baby. Now, does she realize all of it? I guess we don't know. We don't know fully. But we do know that every step of the way, Mary trusted God. She obeyed God. She saw the evidence. She glorified Him, humbled Himself, and celebrated what God was doing. And so if you can learn anything today from Mary... If we can learn from her, the things I think we ought to learn is that we should have faith in the Lord. Too often, we place our faith in other things, in things of this world, in people of this world, in ourselves, in our job, in money, in security, whatever it might be. Our faith should be placed in the Lord. You see, because if Mary had placed her faith in her upcoming marriage to Joseph, who was a nice man, a good man, the Bible says, this would have changed everything. This would have, what would happen when she found, finds out about this? When he finds out, is he going to leave her? That would change her response. Because if her faith was in that marriage and in the life that he would provide for her, this threatens that. Her faith is in the Lord. And she knows that because her faith is in the Lord, there is nothing that can come or go in this life that is too big for God to handle. In Christ, walking in faith with the Lord, whatever we face is not too big for God. And it is also something that can glorify God. 
in ways that we will never imagine, in ways that we may not even understand. But we must have faith in the Lord. And as we know now, this is the only way that we can be saved. That by the name of Jesus, and under no other name, maybe people will be saved. Because this baby was not just a baby to come and to become a ruler. This baby came, lived, grew up to be a servant who suffered willingly went to the cross. Why? Because God in the flesh, Emmanuel, loved us enough to take the punishment we deserved so that we could be right with God. So we have to have faith. And we need to obey the Lord. If we believe in God, if we trust in Him, the only way that we will know that and show that is through obeying Him. We spoke of that last week, that we would... The idea was trusting and obeying. And if you trust in something, you will obey. You will respond in turn. When a child is, is told, if you don't do this, this punishment will happen. Now, if parents don't ever follow through with the punishment, what is the child going to know? No, it's not. You're not going to take away the TV for a month. You're not going to let me not go to my friend's house. You want me to have these things so that you can get a break sometimes. If you don't follow through, you're not going to obey. They don't trust. But if the, if the child knows that if they don't follow through, that it will happen, they will obey because they believe it. In the same way we talked about last week that our deacons thought that a great illustration would be that I should do a trust fall from a, fall, a, a tall height and they could catch me. And I did not trust that, so I didn't do it. Mary trusted in the Lord. How do we know that? Not because she said she did but because she followed through and her actions agreed with what she said. And so if you have trusted in the Lord, if you have faith in the Lord, you should obey the Lord. Not to earn His salvation, not to gain His approval, but because if you believe, you will obey. That's what He said in John 14. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we need to examine the evidence. If having faith is hard for you, if obeying is hard for you, take a close look at the evidence that exists of all that God has done. And this is an important step because there are people that I know, there are people that into their older age, they've been in church their whole life, at some point they finally looked, at the, looked for the evidence. And you know what? They did not see it. They had been in church since the time they were a child. They went to VBS. They went to revivals. They prayed a prayer. They got baptized and they realized They'd only done things. They followed through motions. When that person nudged them in the aisle and said, I think it's time for you to go down, they just did it because they wanted to get that person's approval. When they got baptized, they just did it because that's what you do after you go down and you pray the prayer. And they just went to church because that's what good people do. They realized there was no evidence in their heart, in their life, of ever having Jesus been made the Savior and the Lord of their life. And so I know people into their 50s, 60s, and older that have been saved even though they have claimed to follow Christ their whole life. Why? Because they looked at their life and they did not see any evidence that it was true. They did not, say, they did not see any evidence. Because here's the deal. In, in a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Christ, I would love to talk to you. I would love for you to pray and to make Him your Lord and Savior. But if you just do that, because I asked you to, and because you, you want people's approval, you want people to think better of you, that's not salvation. There's nothing about walking an aisle, praying a prayer, or getting dunked in water that saves you. 
The blood of Christ is what saves you. Faith in the work of Christ is what saves you because he did what we couldn't do and he made a way that we couldn't go on our own so that when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we declare, when we call on the name of the Lord for salvation from our heart, from genuine place of sorrow over our sin and belief in His Son and what He's done, we will be saved. And the problem comes in if you have done parts of that, but you never did the heart thing. You never genuinely believed it. It never really happened. Then there's no evidence. And if that's the case, you need to be saved. But if you get discouraged, if you do get discouraged, because we all do, we have hard times, the, the storms come, the disciples follow Jesus, they walk with Jesus, they believed who He was, and they're on the boat, and the storms come, and what are they doing? They're panicking. Why? Because they forgot the one that was on the boat with them. And all He does is be still. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? You think the next time one of those guys is on a boat and it's, it's a little stormy that they might have a little more confidence because they remember what God has done. When life gets hard, because it does, and I know in our church family and we know in our church, there's people that are struggling and it seems like they can't catch a break and, and they're facing difficulties and God is still good. God is still with us. He loves us. And He's with us every step of the way even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Remember the evidence of all that God has done. And remember that He keeps His promises. Even though sometimes they don't look like what we want them to, but He keeps them. And for any of you that may be here today and you're, you're wondering, well, I don't know if I believe this stuff. You know, maybe somebody told you, to, invited you, maybe you came because you felt like you had to, and you don't know, why should I believe this? I'm kind of on the fence about all this. Examine the evidence of God all around us. Imagine that you went to Mount Rushmore. You said, funny how nature does that, huh? All those faces just appearing like that, it kind of looks like our presidents. No, we know there's a designer. Because there's intention and forethought. And I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at your children and the people you love. We have a designer. And he's not far off and he's not distant, but he loves you. And he made a way to have a relationship with you and he desires that. And if you follow God, if you've been saved, you should glorify God like Mary did. Humbling yourself before him and glorifying him. Because as you walk with the Lord and he reveals truth to you, you will begin to see the majesty and the wonder of all that he's done. And the only appropriate response is to glorify Him. You know, right now in heaven, the angels in the throne room are singing, holy, holy, holy. Sometimes less is more. And that's who God is, is holy. He is holy. And, and when you get to know Him and you glorify Him, sometimes it doesn't take elaborate words or fancy prayers. It's just being in awe of who He is. And the most important thing you can do is to acknowledge Him as your Savior. And so if you're here today and you don't have a confidence, if you don't know that you know that you have made Jesus your Savior, you don't know that that baby that Mary carried was the Messiah who came to live the life you couldn't, to die the death you deserved, and to be raised to life so that you could live and have eternal life by faith in Him, 
If you haven't placed your faith in him today, I would encourage you and implore you to do that. That is why we celebrate Christmas, because our Savior came, because he loved us. And we can have salvation if we believe. Because if you have faith, if you wish to obey God, you must first trust in the work of God in and through Jesus. What Mary was promised has been fulfilled. And we have a Messiah, we have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And if you've already done that, or if you do that today, celebrate like Mary did. Celebrate the work of the Lord. Celebrate his faithfulness. Celebrate what he's done and what he's going to do and is doing now. So wherever you are today, how do you need to respond? How do you need to look at Mary's example as a faithful servant of God and do the same? Do you need to trust him for the first time? That that baby that she was promised that was told would be the Savior, do you need to trust in Jesus and the work that he's done for the first time for the forgiveness of your sins? Or do you need to be more faithful? Do you need to do something else that God is revealing to you? Whatever it is, be obedient. Take the step. The altar will be open and I'll be down front for prayer as well. Obey, celebrate, whatever it is that God is calling you to do right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us, this time that we can come together. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us, that you would convict us and work in each of our hearts, that you would show us what it is you want us to do today, that you would help us to see the example of Mary and her faithfulness to you, her obedience to you, her humility and and glorification of you, and and that we would follow that example as people who wish to be um, obedient, who wish to follow, who who desire to be your servants, trusting in you, obeying you. And God, I pray that if anyone does not know you today, that today would be the day they take that step of faith, that they acknowledge their sin, they believe that Jesus died so that they could be forgiven and they believe that he is alive. And they believe because of that they will have eternal life with you. God, I pray that you'd be with us and that you would work in each of our hearts as only you know how. And that we would be faithful and we would respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.